All right, I want to tell you a story. My freshman year of college, this is where Sarah and I met. We went to Elam Bible Institute in college, which is just outside of Rochester, New York. And one of the first classes that I took when arriving on the campus is basic college composition. And this was focused on English, but it was also focused on teaching us the proper formatting and mechanics of writing papers. And since this was uh, the first time for all of us in our freshman class, unless we had taken the class before in high school, this was the first time that we were in the religion and humanities field. And there was a certain way that we had to format our papers and cite our sources and and, and all of that great stuff. Um, And I was interested in the class, but if I'm being completely honest, I I wasn't wasn't that interested. I was interested because it was my first college semester. But leading up to that point, I hated writing. I have to give my mom so much credit. I was homeschooled for 12 years before going to college, and it must have been like pulling teeth to get me to write papers. I mean, even if I was writing about something that I liked, I just did not like it. Like, again, I have to give my mom so much credit. She let me write about Legos when I was in school. (laughs) Come on, that's pretty sweet. If I could write about basketball, I remember she gave me this creative writing assignment. She's like, yeah, just write about basketball because I was playing sports at the time. I was like, all right, okay, that's pretty legit. But I still didn't quite like it. So I'm taking this class, and I have to give a lot of credit to my teacher at the time, Dr. Miller, because since that time, he did something right in that class, because I love writing papers. Even, even to this day, I really, really enjoy it. So uh, everyone in this class, there's, there's kind of an anticipation. It's like the first couple weeks that you're on campus, everyone's excited, wanting to make a good impression on the teachers, wanting to make a good impression on our peers, our fellow classmates. And I, I thought I was like, okay at writing. I think I was wrong, but I thought I was okay. And within the first, within the first couple weeks of class, our, our professor already has us starting writing papers. And it's maybe the second or the third week of class. And my professor emails me, and he says, hey, I'd like to use the paper that you wrote as an example um, in, in a future class, like in the next week or two. And I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking like he's going to sing my praises. He's going to be like, look at this perfect formatting. He cited his sources correctly. You guys need to write like David. That, that's what I thought. I didn't even ask him. I just assumed. I was like, okay, cool, sure, no problem. So I don't know, two, three days later, uh, I get to class, and I sit, I sit up closer to the front, and I'm sitting a little taller, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be good stuff. I'm like, everyone's going to be coming to me for writing help this semester. So uh, Dr. Miller starts teaching the class. A couple minutes later, he pulls up my, my paper on the projector. I'm like, yes, the moment of truth, this is it. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm being really honest with you. This is literally what's going through my head as a college freshman. And he starts talking about my paper, and he brings something up about my paper, and as soon as he brings it up, I realize it. I don't even remember exactly what this paper was written about, but I remember the topic was angels. And as soon as he mentions it, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe you see where this is going. Instead of writing angel throughout my paper, I had used the word angle throughout my entire paper, talking about these holy angles and God's angles and... I never felt so small that in that moment, I was a wreck. I think I slumped down in my chair. I wish I could leave. (laughs) I got brought down a couple notches, but I think it was good. But anyway, uh, I really enjoyed the class, even though I was slightly humiliated. And to this day, I love papers. But why do I tell you you this story? I think that this relates to the blood of Jesus, because that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, We've heard about the cross the past two weeks, and I'm going to talk to you today about the blood of Jesus. The reason I tell you that, that story is... By one misused word, it wasn't even misspelled. This isn't something that spell check could have fixed, okay? My spelling was okay. I just misused this word. By misusing that one word, it changed the entire direction 
of my paper. It changed the entire content. The entire thrust of that paper was completely changed because of one word misused multiple times. And what I want to propose to you today, I'm going to build off of the thought that Pastor Jim started two weeks ago. He said, without the cross, there's no Christianity. And I want to further that thought today by, here's what I propose to you, that without the blood of Jesus, there is no Christianity. And specifically, what I want to talk to you today about is that unless we come to an understanding of the significance of the blood of Jesus, unless we understand the blood of Jesus, we will never experience the full benefits as children of God. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. And as I was studying this, I was, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking about the cross, and I'm thinking about the blood. And, and just this is where my mind goes, okay? I'm being really honest. I'm thinking, why blood? Why is it the blood of Jesus? Why is blood so significant? Out of all the things, out of all the devices that God could have chosen, why is blood so significant? And, and in order to answer that question, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to look very briefly at the ancient culture of Israel. But let me, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer before we start. I am in no means going to be able to exhaustively cover the blood of Jesus today. I'm going to mention uh, the covenants as we look at the ancient culture of Israel. I am in no way going to be able to exhaustively cover all of these things. So I'm going to give you a flyby, and I encourage you to, to study these things out for yourself. But when we look at the culture of ancient Israel in the Old Testament, we see that blood... I'm being really honest here, was a natural part of their everyday lives. And this was in part because of the covenant that they had made with God. This was specifically the Mosaic covenant. There's multiple covenants in the Old Testament. I'm also going to refer to this as the Old Covenant. But blood being a natural part of their everyday life was in part because of this covenant that they had with God. A covenant is a relational agreement. It's like stipulations. This is how we're going to carry out our relationships. They're, 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 they're like guidelines. And this was legal in nature, and it was a binding agreement. And part of this Mosaic covenant was based, really, really all the covenant was based on the Israelites' ability to keep the rules. And when they broke those rules, this covenant required them to sacrifice animals continuously, year after year, in order to provide temporary forgiveness for the stipulations that they broke in this covenant. So blood was a very natural part of their everyday lives. Now, let me say this. There's a little bit of a disconnect between our culture and theirs. I mean, consider how sanitized our culture is. You ever walked into a hospital and you just hit in the face with the smell of chemicals because of how sanitized the place is? And I appreciate that. I, I really do appreciate that because blood is one of the few things in life I cannot handle. If I see blood, I'm one step short of hitting the floor. I'm not even kidding. So I appreciate that. Um, but for a lot of us, if we're not hunters, because that's common here in upstate New York, a lot of us have never raised and or killed our food. A lot of us have never even seen the meat that we eat even closely resemble an animal. So it's somewhat of a foreign concept for us, this, this shedding of blood, this, this animal sacrifice. But what we need to understand about this ancient Israelite culture is that it was agricultural in nature. Their entire lives revolved around the fact that they needed to in order to survive to grow crops, and to raise livestock. And in their culture, I find this very significant, is when a guest would come to your home, say, I come to your home, you would bring out your prized livestock, you would slaughter the livestock for a meal that would honor me, and in a way, that meal was facilitating our relationship. Now, this concept isn't foreign to us in our culture. My wife's family is Italian. Man, when we have family holiday meals, man, we just eat all day. If the shrimp cocktail isn't out by 1130, there's a problem. 
I'm serious. It's like second breakfast is shrimp cocktail on holidays, and, and, and it's amazing. So in essence, in this ancient Israelite culture, we see that this shedding of blood was facilitating the relationship, and these, these animal sacrifices that they had to make continuously to provide temporary forgiveness for them breaking any of the stipulations of this covenant was facilitating their relationship with God. It facilitated the relationship between the two parties. And and what I find absolutely amazing is that when God wrote scripture through, I don't even remember how many authors, there's probably a lot smarter people in the building that can tell me that, but the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were a foreshadowing of the eventual sacrifice that Jesus would make at the cross. And that's what I want to look at today. Again, I'm flying through this. I would encourage you to look at it. It's absolutely amazing when we, when we cover it in depth. I want to look at Romans 3.25. You can turn there in your Bibles, or you can turn there in your electronic devices. We'll also have it on the screen for you. Romans 3.25 paints a beautiful picture a parallel picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made and how it connects back to those animal sacrifices in the Old Covenant. Romans 3.25 says this. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Let me read that again. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by by faith. And here's what Jesus did through his sacrifice on the cross. We believe slightly over 2,000 years ago. He initiated a brand new covenant, but it wasn't just between God and the Israelites, the nation of Israel, his chosen people. It was between God and us. And I am so thankful that when Jesus initiated this covenant, the guidelines of this covenant were not based on our ability to keep the rules, but this covenant, this relational agreement between us and God was based on his love and his grace. And this is what we know as the salvation experience. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. We just read in that verse that when we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, this is received by faith, believing that it is enough, believing that he provides forgiveness through his sacrifice. And at that point, as soon as we have the salvation experience, say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. At that instant, we're made members of God's family. We are sons and daughters of God. Amen? All right, so here's where we're going to get a little specific about the blood. I told you that in order to understand our full benefits as sons and daughters of God, we have to understand something about the blood. In fact, there's two things that we need to understand about the blood of Jesus that I believe radically shapes how we live out our Christianity every day. Our everyday Christian life is dependent upon these two things. The first thing is that the, in the blood, there is powerful forgiveness. In the blood, there is powerful forgiveness. Let me show you. Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this. In him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. See, the old covenant required that continual sacrifices be made in order to purchase This temporary forgiveness to facilitate the relationship between them and God. So basically, they had forgiveness until they made the next sacrifice. But that's not what Jesus did. 1 John 1, 7 says this. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. It didn't say just some sins. It didn't just say the sins last week or every month or in between those sacrifices. It says that it it cleanses us of all sins. 
Psalm 103, verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's Psalm 103, verse 12. That verse just wrecks me. Because there is an infinite distance in between east and west. And that's the distance that Jesus puts between us and our sin when we accept what he did at the cross. And I didn't, I didn't quite understand this when I was younger. Because I, I felt that in order to be forgiven, to feel forgiven, I had to ask God over and over and over and over again to forgive me for the same sin. I'd be like, God, please forgive me for saying that. Oh, Lord, please forgive me for saying that. Until I felt forgiven. But I was misunderstanding what Jesus came to do for us. Because in the blood, there's powerful forgiveness. And he cleanses us from all sin. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this. Another verse that just wrecks me every time I read it. Jeremiah 31, 34. Check this out. I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. Isn't that beautiful? I will never again remember their sins. See, this is a hard concept for us to, to wrap our minds around. Why? Because we like to keep score. We like to keep a record, all right? I'm going to talk to the married people in the room for just a minute. I don't know about you. I'm going to be very real and very raw with you right now, okay? So please, please just roll with me. How many of you married people know that, man, when you get in a fight, when you get in an argument, you sometimes have a back pocket full of ammo to use, on your spouse or your significant other for that matter. Why? Because we like to keep score. Like, I remember when you said this. I remember when you did this. And we play the comparison game thinking that, oh, well, maybe I'm a little bit better than you because I only did five bad things instead of six. <laughs> and that comes into play when we connect to the blood of Jesus. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding that he never again remembers our sin. The dumb mistakes that we've made, no matter what we've done, no matter how heinous the acts, no matter how many times we've done the same dumb, stupid thing, he never again remembers our sin. See, and here's, here's what happens. Religion wants to rub our nose in our past mistakes in order to keep us humble. Jesus never again remembers our sin so that he can empower us to live righteously. I don't want religion. I don't want my nose to be rubbed into my past. I've done enough dumb, stupid things. I don't want to be reminded of that. I want to keep moving forward. I want to step into the destiny and the purpose that Jesus Christ created me to fulfill. And it starts right there with the powerful forgiveness that's found in the blood. So in the blood, there's powerful forgiveness. And I just mentioned the second one when I talked about righteousness. Number two, in the blood is permanent righteousness. In the blood is permanent righteousness. I want to read you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. In the blood is permanent righteousness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says this. For by one sacrifice he, referring to Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, not two, not continual, not yearly, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, let's say a week. Say he made perfect for a month. Is that what this is there? No. Be made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Jesus sacrificed himself once to acquit us permanently with his blood. 
and to give us permanent right standing with God. When we have that salvation experience, when we read in the New Testament, one of the most used terms is that we are put into Christ. And regardless of whether we are behaving perfectly or not, we are in Christ. I love that word acquit, that Jesus acquitted us permanently by his sacrifice, by the shedding of blood on the cross. I love that word acquit because it means to clear, to be free, to absolve. And not only that, but it addresses my present, it addresses my past, and it addresses my future. And his permanent righteousness addresses our entire life. And our identity is no longer associated with our actions. That's why religion wants, to, wants to, to, to rub our faces in our past mistakes. Oh, you're a sinner saved by grace. No, that's not what the New Testament tells me. The New Testament tells me that I am a saint. Come on, that I am in Christ, that I have the same spiritual DNA as Jesus Christ, and that as he was in the world, so am I. Come on now. I think one of the most clear Stark illustrations of this in the Bible is in John chapter 8. Maybe you're familiar with the story. A woman that's caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. She's literally been caught red-handed cheating. This entire crowd probably knows at least the general details of what she had been doing. And they bring her to Jesus and say, what should we do about this? What do you think? The law says we should execute her by stoning nonetheless. I play baseball and I've been hit a couple times by a fastball and it's not fun. That's how this lady would have been executed over and over and over again because she was caught in one sinful act. And Jesus just wrecks everybody. I love Jesus. He's the man. He says, any of you who has not sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. All of them walk away. Jesus is left alone with the woman. He says, listen, who's going to condemn you? Is there anyone here? She says, no one, sir. He says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your sin no more. Here's what Jesus did. He said, neither do I condemn you. That's the forgiveness part. Go and sin no more. That's the empowering to righteousness. Because we can't be empowered to live righteously until we're completely forgiven. And only the powerful forgiveness in the blood of Jesus can cleanse us of all sins. Like First John just told us. Come on. That is good. He forgave and he empowered the woman to live righteously in one interaction. Let me read you Hebrews 10.10. 10. It says this. Hebrews 10. Verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Once he sacrificed his body on the cross, once for all, to powerfully forgive us and to give us permanent righteousness. But here's what happens. The devil tries to come in and he tries to deceive us and he tries to get us to think something other than this. Because let me explain this to you. If he can distract us from understanding powerful forgiveness and permanent righteousness that we have been forgiven 100% and that we have been put into Christ, that we have the same spiritual DNA as Jesus and that we're permanently in right standing with God. If he can distract us from understanding those things, then he can distract us from receiving the full benefits as children of God. That's a big deal because I don't want to be distracted from anything that God has set out for me. Amen. He'll tell us we're unworthy because our past is too dark. Oh, you're not righteous. There's no way that you're righteous. Look at your history. Look at how many years you've messed up and all the dumb things that you've done and how many people you've alienated and hurt. No way God can make you righteous. Or he'll tell us this. This, this is, I don't know if I could say it's one of my personal favorites, but it's been used on me. You've made the same mistake too many times. 
You've been addicted too long. You've fallen back in it too many times. You've done the same thing, committed the same sin too many times. There's no way that God could forgive you. You know what? That's not what the Bible tells me. But you know what? He tries to distract us from understanding the blood so that he can shortchange us on what God has freely given us. No, sir. The benefits as sons and daughters of God, and this is something that we could take hours and, and months and not weeks to go into. But the benefits of being in God's family I don't know if you've ever, ever looked into this and studied it. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, when 1 John 3, 1 tells us that God has lavished his love on us because we're children of God. Think about that, lavished. I just think of like one of those huge industrial dump trucks that they use in mining operations. The thing that could move like a house and a half. And I think of God's love, the quantity, the sheer volume of his love being filled in that dump truck and then just dumped all over me. That's lavished. He lavished his love on us. But here's what happens. When we don't understand powerful forgiveness, when we don't understand permanent righteousness, we disqualify ourselves from continually encountering God's love as his children. Heck, I don't want that. What about the blessings? In Ephesians 1.3, it says that we're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's a lot. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? I want that. Come on, who wants that? But I'll tell you what, if we doubt our forgiveness... And we doubt that we've been made righteous, then we discount ourselves from receiving that. Or what about being led by the Holy Spirit? Romans 8 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What about a Holy Spirit-led lifestyle where he speaks to us, where he leads us, where he gives us wisdom, where he uses us to touch other people? If we don't understand that forgiveness and that righteousness... We're literally blocking the space that righteousness and forgiveness create in our lives for the Holy Spirit to use us. What about God's family? What about the local church? When we don't understand that forgiveness and that righteousness, we're doubting the very things that have brought us into God's family. And we're basically throwing up a wall that says, I'm not a part of this family, I can't be used. If we don't understand the powerful forgiveness and the permanent righteousness that the blood of Jesus provides, then we will never experience the full benefits of being children of God. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that today. We will never enjoy the full benefits of being children of God unless we give the blood of Jesus its rightful place in our lives. And I'll tell you what, any other experience or belief that is anything less than that forgiveness, that, that powerful forgiveness and that permanent righteousness that Jesus bought for us by dying an excruciating, painful, torturous death on that cross, if we have any experience or any belief that is less than that, then we're accepting less than what God gives us. Someone recently just gave my wife and I a second car, just super, super generous, just said, hey, we want to give you this vehicle. How absurd would it be if I went to them and be like, no, I'll just take the wheels. <laughs> They're nice. I'll have those. You can keep the rest. I'll just take the wheels. Or what if I was like, hey, I'll just take the hood, whip out a ratchet set and just start disconnecting the hood. I'll just take that. <laughs> how absurd would that be? But sometimes we miss an understanding of how powerful his forgiveness is and how permanent his righteousness is. And we shortchange ourselves from receiving 
the full benefits as sons and daughters of God. Listen, Jesus carried our sickness so that we wouldn't have to. Come on, he carried our shame so we wouldn't have to. He carried our guilt, our condemnation, our fear, our insecurity so that we wouldn't have to. And he carried our sin so that we could live forgiven and righteous. One of the beautiful things about the cross, I find, is that its whole purpose was so that we could take what Jesus came to give and we would give what Jesus came to take. What do you have to give Jesus today? What do you have to give him? Is there something in your mind where you're like, I cannot be forgiven of this? I've done this, this thing too many times. I've fallen back into this sin. I've alienated too many people. I've burned too many bridges. I've stolen too much, lied too much, cheated too much, whatever. What do you need to give Jesus today? Because I'll tell you what he wants to give you. He wants to give you powerful forgiveness. And he wants to give you permanent righteousness. What do you, want, what do you need to take from Jesus today? Maybe you need to take that forgiveness and that righteousness. Maybe you need to take love. Maybe you need to take security, identity, significance. Maybe it's joy. What do you need to give him? And what do you need to receive from him today? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Would you just close your eyes for just a moment? And focus on Jesus, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you picture him. Maybe you remember an experience you had with him. Maybe you picture one of the Renaissance paintings. So just focus on Jesus, whatever you have to do in this moment for you. Jesus, we love you. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward. Jesus, Jesus, come Holy Spirit. There's some of you in here today that are in that exact place. You're thinking, there's no way that God could forgive me of this, no matter what it was. Again, maybe it was you continue to fall back into an addiction. Maybe you hurt somebody. Maybe you hurt yourself, and you want to forgive yourself, but you don't think that you can. Today's your day. Because just like I prayed earlier, God's in the house. Where two or more are gathered, he's here. And he wants to meet with you. Maybe you know that thing in your mind where you're saying, if I could just have this. If I could just have a physical healing. If I could just get rid of this shame and this guilt. If I could just have joy. If I could just have significance and security. Maybe you need to come and meet Jesus for the first time. And become a part of God's family. If that's the case, there's these absolutely wonderful people here in front. They'd love to talk with you about that. If you want to become a part of God's family today, or if you need a physical healing, maybe you're dealing with guilt and shame and condemnation because of the mistakes that you've made in the past. All right, here's what we're going to do. Keep your eyes closed. Would you just hold your hands out in front of you? If you're not comfortable, that's okay, but I believe that God wants to touch each and every one of us. This is a sign of surrender. It's the sign of receiving a gift. Just hold your hands out in front of you. Holy Spirit, I just release peace in the name of Jesus. Lord, for any of those who need forgiveness, Lord, it's done. Just receive it in Jesus' name. Lord, you've made us righteous. You've put us in Christ. As soon as we come to you and we say, I have faith that your blood was enough. Well, I want to tell you today, the blood is enough. Just receive it. Receive him. Receive a physical healing in your body. Receive peace. Receive joy. 
receive significance in Jesus' name. God, we bless you and we praise you, God. Lord, touch every person in this place, God. Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand that in the blood is powerful forgiveness and in the blood is permanent righteousness, that if we've been put into Christ, our identity is set whether we're behaving right or not. God, I bless your people. Bless your people today. Jesus. 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 And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.